Welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. My name is Paul Matthews, and today I've got the real privilege of having a discussion with Danielle Tesero. She is a learning support teacher, she's a PhD candidate, and she puts her wealth of experience to good use in both her work as a teacher and as a student. Now, we discuss a whole range of things in this conversation. We discuss learning support for the higher ability students within our classroom. We discuss the various ways of approaching faith and science teaching. But one of the central things we discuss is two competing metaphors around knowledge itself. The first metaphor is that knowledge is like a chest of drawers. You've got one drawer for maths, one drawer for history. They're very discrete units and the different drawers don't have much to say to each other. And then we say, well, actually, probably a better metaphor for knowledge is like a web, where if you're dealing with one part, well, you're going to be able to actually trace that back to all parts of the web, aren't you? All knowledge is connected. And of course, we realize as Christians, it all finds its central point. It's all held together by Christ himself, as we read in the first chapter of Colossians. Well, we discussed this question then, if all knowledge is connected, How do we teach science in such a way that it doesn't divorce it from art, say, or poetry? Well, that's the sort of question that Danielle does a great job of broaching in our discussion. And as always, know that before we turned our mics on, we prayed for you, that no matter where you are in the educational ecosystem, this conversation would sharpen your knowledge of and participation in Christian education. Well, Danielle Tesaro, welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, you've done something really generous for me here. You've taken some time out of your much-coveted holidays, the January holidays, and you've come to join me on the podcast. Um, so it would be rude of me not to ask, how have your holidays been? Oh, thank you. Um, yes, I've had a relaxing time. So holidays started um, kind of beginning of December, and we went straight into a beach holiday with the family. So I felt that was just a really good time of um, refreshing and just getting into the holiday mode straight away. And we just had really lovely low-key Christmas with um, both sides of our families. So I really enjoyed that and just enjoying the last couple of weeks having pretty low-key time at home. Yeah. I feel like there's something great about getting to the beach or at least a wide open space. You can spend so much time in offices and classrooms and so on just getting out the beach just seeing a large expanse of land it's it's really good for the soul yeah Yeah. it is it's very spiritual isn't it i feel like it's just such a refreshing thing to do well speaking of refreshing i i don't think i've ever been this refreshed in my life i had the opportunity to take two weeks of paternity leave um four weeks before the term ended so i felt i felt i was in a very different position to most teachers actually going into the end of the year because as we were in the last two weeks of school i feel like most people are usually on their hands and knees by that stage in the term and i just come off two weeks break so um yeah i'm well and truly ready to get back in the classroom yeah fantastic now now from our uh, from our discussion so far it actually seems like you are up to your back teeth in education. You're on you're on both sides of the fence, as it were. You're you're teaching in a school, doing some learning support. You're also a PhD candidate. Can you explain a little bit about what you do in both of those areas? 
Yeah, so I'm part-time in both those kind of endeavours. So I'm a high school teacher, I'm a learning support teacher. Um, I trained as an English teacher and I'm very passionate about literacy. Um, and this year I'm working uh, in the learning support team at Nepean Christian School. And so that means that I provide support to students in class and I also teach literacy uh, skills to small groups. Um, I write up what we call IEPs, so individual education plans for students with disabilities. And um, I help sort out exam provisions, special exam provisions for students who need them. And kind of woven into that is my study. So I've always been the kind of person who, who loved to have some study and reading on the go. So I'm doing a PhD by publication at Alpha Crucis University College. And my general areas are literature and theology. And what I focus on is um, what we call multimodal texts. So multimodal texts are basically um, the texts that I'm looking at are picture books or graphic novels. And I'm looking at how words and images uh, work together to make meaning. And um, because I'm doing it by publication, that means that I'm publishing as I go. So I've published a couple of articles already on things like um, graphic memoirs that deal with the pilgrimage route that people do in Spain. Um, and also, um, I've just submitted an article on um, retellings in picture books of the Psalm 23 and Parable of the Lost Sheep kind of narratives. Fantastic. Well, let me first of all commend you, Danielle, because I've met several people doing their PhD who proved absolutely incapable of explaining what it was. So you've actually done a really good job there. Well, well done. Now, over the last, I reckon the last couple of decades, uh, the educational community as a whole, from what I understand, uh, has, has come to see how important learning support is. And you would know that being on the inside of learning support. And heaps of that energy has gone into looking at how we can assist students sort of coming up to the Australian curriculum standard. Uh, but from our discussions, you've actually got a bit of a passion for working with those students who don't need help coming up to the standard. They actually might need help extending beyond the standard. Now, of course, all teachers have a category for students who need academic extension, uh, sorry, who need academic support. And we know what goes wrong when they don't get it. That's really clear in our minds. But could you actually just tell us some of the benefits of supporting our higher ability students? Uh, that's a really interesting question. So this is something that I've been thinking about. So over the last year, I did um, quite a bit of professional development in the area of, um, I guess, what the mainstream world calls um, teaching gifted students. And I know as Christians, we can kind of sometimes shy away from setting apart students as gifted. And so, of course, we want to, um, as Christians, we want to affirm all students as being gifted and unique. And so I believe that as well. Um, but I think that, that there's some kind of um, cliche or maybe assumption at play that higher ability support involves setting apart kind of this elite group of academic kids. And what I'm learning is that that's really not the case. And so we might have in our mind that the gifted student is normally someone who's um, very quiet and compliant in our class, is doing all their homework. And that's a great student to have in your class, um, although you might want to think about how you can engage them a bit more if they're quiet. But 
typically I'm learning that the gifted student has a bit more of a difficult life in the classroom and they might not actually be on your radar as gifted. Um, so there's quite a big category of students who are what we call twice exceptional. So they might have a high IQ but also have um, say a learning disability like dyslexia or something like ADHD mm. and that can really complicate things. So they're, they're quite a um, difficult group of students in terms of just identifying their needs. So I'm learning that um, part of the issue is just actually finding those students who, who have um, the potential to turn kind of an innate gift into something where they can actually um, make a contribution and really enjoy thinking within a particular field. So whether they be creatively gifted or, or gifted in science and maths, sometimes we actually have to um, do a bit of investigative work and the students that might have potential and, and need some help actually might be those students that already have an IEP. So already on our radar in terms of being a learning support student, um, and that, or they might be students that have um, issues with, um, you know, have difficult relationships with their teachers, just can't kind of manage their emotional regulation or, or just find the classroom setting kind of hard. So I guess in terms of um, higher ability support, I see that it's kind of not this elite separate kind of thing, that, but learning support is kind of a, a thing that addresses the needs of students very holistically. And um, so I don't like to kind of set apart, um, this is my higher ability student, this is my, you, you know what I mean? I like to kind of um, address the needs of the students and give them agency within that. So a big part of the um, individual education plan process is meant to be giving students agency in their own learning. So I feel like as a learning support person, I just need to um, get to know students and their challenges and their interests and build a picture of the students so that we can then provide the best learning support for them. And that could be helping them with their literacy, you know, if they're dyslexic, it could be um, extending them in their science interest or it's, it's really addressing them holistically. So I guess that's how I'm more and more thinking of higher ability support as being within a broader learning support. Well, that's a really exciting paradigm you've got there. I think most of us, for our, in our schema of gifted students, higher ability students, they are very much those people who sort of self-select to the front of the class, pen down, they're taking all of the instructions, they're doing the work as fast as they can. Can I have some more work, please, Mr. Matthews? This sort of thing. But, but what you're saying is the higher ability students might not be the people we'd pick for our team if we were making an academic SWAT team or something. They, they might actually be flying under the radar in our classrooms. Is that what you're saying, Danielle? Yeah, and they might actually be on our radar for different reasons. So they might actually be the people in um, our Edumate and online files that are having struggles in, you know, in their relationships or, um, yeah, just can't, you know, are a bit defiant in their relationship with teachers or just can't get their head around what they're being asked to do because it just doesn't make sense to them. So let's turn to your article now, Danielle. You've contributed a fantastic article to the uh, February edition of the Christian Teachers Journal. Thanks for that. And you focus on the discipline of science in your article. 
Now, many people, I think, including perhaps this person right here, can see science at times as a bit of a dry and dusty academic pursuit. It can be about uh, reading and reading and more reading and, and reporting and all these sorts of things. However, in your article, you've actually argued that science can be about more than just reading and reporting. It can somehow actually be about reconciling. Can you give me some more information on that? Yeah, no, thanks for that question. Um, the interesting thing is that I feel like I'm a bit of a fraud, so I just have to st say it straight up. I'm not actually a science teacher. I'm trained as an English teacher, and I wasn't planning on saying this, but I also feel like I have to be honest and say that for my year 11 and 12, I didn't do any science subjects. Um, I totally became a humanities um, person because that's um, what I loved and that's kind of what I fueled my study with. But now I kind of regret that. I feel like I'm doing a bit of a catch-up because I love reading about science. Um, and I've actually always been just really curious about reading about the wider world. Um, so, yeah, once I started, I didn't start to read until I was in year two. Um, but once I started reading, I just really couldn't stop. And so I was just reading about everything. I even read through our big Macquarie Dictionary at home. Wow. Um, <laughs> and so now I just love the whole field of learning, I guess. And I love, as a learning support teacher, I love thinking about how to engage students with learning. Um, and I like to remember now um, that I'm learning a bit more about the field of science is that it didn't used to be cut off as its own particular thing. So it didn't used to be kind of its own slice of learning. Um, it was part of like a whole delicious cake of learning. Um, and we used to refer to it as the study of natural philosophy. So it's bringing together lots of fields of different thinking. Mm. So when we talk about reconciling, I actually think that we can also think about reconciling uh, different fields of thinking that traditionally were more closely linked and people were encouraged to think through things in different ways. Um, but also for me as an English teacher, um, I'm intensely interested in literature and how we express ourselves. And the stories that we tell about the natural world can be a way of helping us engage with it. And I believe can also be a way of helping us um, be reconciled to a fallen world. So we as fallen yeah. creatures can be reconciled with a hurting world as well. So we know in Genesis that God gave us a special task of caring uh, for the world. And there's lots of ways that we haven't lived up to this task, really sadly. And there's lots of ways that we've inflicted trauma on the world. But I believe um, by reading and writing and deeply thinking about the natural world, we can kind of, I don't know if this makes sense, but we can kind of almost give it some kind of voice and we can then reconcile with it. So that's um, how I think uh, science and can be reconciled with broader areas of learning, but also as we engage in that kind of thinking, we can be um, reconciled with the natural world. That's a fantastic perspective. And last year, as I was teaching year seven and eight Christian perspectives, we used some material from a bloke called Vaughan Roberts, and also some stuff by Graham Goldsworthy. But the key text was a text called God's Big Picture. And it said basically what happened as God's kingdom perished after he created it 
was that there was multiple levels of alienation. So of course we understand theologically we were alienated, we were cut off from God. Um, we were the relationship between ourselves as humanity was disrupted as well. But crucially, and a thing you've picked up on here, Danielle, is that our relationship with the natural world has been deeply, deeply interrupted. It's there's there's a a, a deficit there. And through science, you're absolutely right. We can actually restore that relationship gradually over time. Just as Christ's kingdom grows a little bit of a time, at a time, like a tree or like leaven through a loaf, we can, we can be working to reconcile ourselves to that world just slowly, slowly, a little bit uh, at a time using the discipline of science. Let's press pause on this discussion for a moment. Over the last year or so, some of you have been asking how you can support the Christian Education Podcast. Well, let me give you three ways, all starting with S. The first S is simply to subscribe. So that's just a setting on your podcast app, actually. And if you do that, that helps me probably more than you think. The second S is to share. So if you really love one of these episodes, why not push it through your social media? You can even send it to an educator directly if you think they'd benefit from it. And the third S is to get in touch. Now, I know that's not an S, but let's not get bogged down in the details here. If there's someone who you think would make a great contribution to this podcast, why not send me their name? Hey, you can even dob in yourself. That's just fine by me. So if you're able to do those three S's to subscribe, share, and get in touch, well, that will help me do the very same thing that we're all trying to do here, to see God's kingdom grow through Christian education. Having said that, let's get back to the discussion. Now, you actually, in your article, make a really interesting connection. We, of course, we're trying to base our understanding of the world on the Bible as Christians. And as you examine the area of science and like the scientific method and how we approach our relationship with God's creation, you've really interestingly honed in on the character of Job in the Old Testament. What can we, all the way forward here in the 21st century, what can we be learning from an ancient character like Job? Yeah, I think Job is so interesting because um, we think it's such an ancient story. So people think it might actually be set in a time before Abraham. And so Job is not actually an Israelite. When we think of Job, he's some person from the mists of time. We're not actually sure um, where he's meant to be from. But when you read it, it's just so direct and fresh and, you know, because it's also so uh, full of angst and this questioning of God, I feel like it's a really good text also for like teenagers to get into. Um, It's just such a fascinating text and he's he's just grappling with with, um, issues that are always relevant. So he's, he's grappling with the problem of suffering and loss and why he's experiencing so much suffering as, um, you know, he conceives of himself as a good and innocent man. And we're all going to wrestle with the problem of suffering at loss and loss at some point in our life. Um, so it's a book to be read and reread, I think. And I think it's a great book because it, um, it doesn't have pat answers like that's kind of its thing like it's saying there aren't any pat answers this is something mm. that we'll have to grapple with but then there's a revelation of God at the end so um, very much centers us in a relationship with God in our environment and 
so yeah, I just think it's a book to be reread, and I've actually spent the last couple of days in the library just reading it and annotating it, and it's just um, such a rich text. Um, and what I've also a text that I've found helpful alongside reading Job is um, a book uh, by a Christian physics professor, Professor Tom McLeish. So he's at the University of York. And he writes about what he calls the nature trail in Job. So we're used to kind of approaching Job and just thinking it's all about suffering and loss. And But it's actually so much richer than that. And so um, the book actually reminds us that when Job and his friends are arguing together and arguing with God, they're forgetting that it's not actually all about them or us as humans. And we're fallen creatures and we can't, the book tells us, the book shows us that we can't get the right perspective or actually ask the right questions on our own. And when God shows himself to Job at the end of the book, um, he gives Job, a, you know, kind of this uh, special peek at these amazing creatures in the deep sea ocean, like the Leviathan. Um, so they're wild and untamable and a bit terrible. And so the book kind of decenters us a bit. It's meant to make us feel a bit uncomfortable. So remind us that we're actually not the centre of um, the world. And um, it's meant to encourage us in a fear of God and encourage us along a path of wisdom. But it's also um, a very encouraging book too in that it encourages us along um, the mandate we were given in Genesis 1 to care for the world but also to enjoy the world and to discover things about it so there are bits in Job that talk about um, the special abilities that humans have to mine the earth and see you know all the jewels under the earth and that's not an that's not an ability um, that's given to non-humans so we have a special ability to understand and explore the world that um, the rest of the world doesn't have. Um, so for me, the book of Job shows us that um, doing science and respecting nature is kind of a way of working through the curses that were placed on us in Genesis 3 and the suffering that resulted. Um, so there's always kind of going to be suffering at the heart of it, um, you know, this side of eternity for us and this side of Jesus coming back. But we can look towards, as we engage with the environment and um, enjoy our relationship with God and trust in his goodness, we can kind of work towards what's described in Romans 8, um, you know, when creation is groaning and waiting for the children of God to be revealed. So I believe that the, the book of Job and the character of Job kind of affirms us in this journey of wisdom as we seek to engage with the environment in a wise way. That's fantastic. And look, for what it's worth, as one non-scientist talking to another, I actually think science will be one of those jobs that's around in the new heaven and earth. There's going to be a lot of jobs which won't need to be there. One of my best mates used to be a lawyer. And he said one of the things that was grating, he said, we probably won't need lawyers in the new heaven and earth. We'll probably, um, you know, we'll have our perfect fellowship. We'll have that stuff sorted out. But I'm, I'm pretty convinced um, for on, on into eternity, endless days, I think we'll still be discovering parts of God's world and going, wow, can you believe this stuff? Can you, can you, can, it, it won't be, um, I don't think it'll be less of an investigative joy for us in the new heaven and earth. I think it'll be almost 
more of that. Um, I still haven't figured out where I think English teachers are going to be. Will they, will they still have it? Probably, probably. We might even create better and richer texts. Um, um, you've actually made a bit of a funny comment, maybe a bit unintentionally, because I used to be a lawyer. <laughs> oh, okay, there you go. Jen, I was a lawyer and my husband still is a lawyer. Um, so I've obviously made the wise choice to become a teacher. <laughs> yep, that's right. Um, you've made, you can use all the skills you're accruing right now for all eternity. And you might even be able to teach your husband some of those skills along the way. So that would be uh, more, than, more than useful. And that's something now, that's interesting about the book of Job too, is that he continually calls on God um, to come into kind of a court, court of law and um, engage with him as kind of, um, this person who's been uh, wrongfully treated. So he actually, <laughs> he's wanting this kind of legal situation, but God kind of sidesteps it and um, something so much more than engaging in a court of law that's revealed at the end of the book of Job. Now, as we move on here, and you've touched on this earlier, actually, Danielle, the way that our schools are set up can lead to a very compartmentalized view of knowledge. One of the there's two competing metaphors, the way I see it, two competing metaphors when it comes to understanding knowledge and education. One, and I between you and I, I think this is probably the predominant view, is that knowledge is perhaps like a chest of drawers that you'd have in your bedroom. And you open this drawer over here and that's your science drawer and you do your science in there, and you close the drawer, and then on the other side, you've got your history drawer. And all the history happens in that drawer, and so on for art and for maths. That's one metaphor. Another metaphor, I think, which is far more helpful and would align with what you've been saying is that it's perhaps more like a web. So it's actually all connected. Um, and if you look to Colossians, we would say that Christ is right in the center. Christ is the point of integration. But knowledge is like a web. And sure, we've got this science part over here. But if we shake that hard enough, we're going to see the whole rest of the web reverberating and vibrating. So you've made the case in your article here uh, that science um, and art and poetry, far from being really separated disciplines, that they might actually have quite a bit to say to one another. So how would our engagement with a discipline of science be enhanced by merging these different disciplines or as you've said these different worlds of activity? Yes yeah, so I guess I'm the kind of person so now I'm thinking about your um, very creative metaphors I find it hard just to rummage through the one drawer so I'm always opening different drawers and thinking about different areas of learning or I guess another way of saying it would be that I find it hard to stay in my learning lane so I'm always the kind of person that's looking for cross-curricular um, links and um, interesting ways of engaging with different ways of different fields of thinking. Um, but I think with with science, what's happened is that we've carved it out and made it its own precious thing, which it kind of is. Um, but um, I've been doing a bit of reading recently about creativity and um, how to be creatively engaged with the world and the thing with creativity is that you can be a creative person in any field so you're not just talking about the creative arts or writing or music you can be talking about someone who's a creative science or a creative economist so basically a creative person is someone who's um, who's able to come up with new ideas and new ways of thinking or or, or kind of new questions that prompt a new engagement with the world. Um, 
And I think maybe sometimes the language that we use in our specific fields can kind of make people forget that things are much more interconnected than we realise. Um, so even maybe the language of the scientific methods, even using the word method mm. kind of can um, make it sound as if there's just this rote formula that you always um, apply, you plug in a particular kind of method and you'll come out with your hypothesis or your, but it's actually much more of a creative process, I guess, behind um, scientific experimentation and thinking about how you can advance thinking in different areas. Um, and that's what I came up against, I guess, when we we're in a period of lockdown uh, last year and I was trying to help Year 10 students with their scientific research project that they have to do in New South Wales. Mm. So in Year 10, they have to put together their own experiment, basically, and, and, and test it, test an, uh, an hypothesis in the experiment. And a lot of um, it was hard because we were out of the classroom environment where, you know, it's a bit easier to... Um, bounce ideas off one another when you're in a classroom environment rather than just mm. being a one-on-one -on -one Zoom with the learning support teacher. But um, it kind of is a shift in thinking is that, okay, this is not just, I have to actually do some deep thinking and questioning before I can come up with my own experiment. So it's a bit of a hard thing I think sometimes is idea generation. And I think um, just reframing things a bit can be a bit helpful. So engaging across different areas of thinking can be a really um, good way of kind of um, setting yourself up to be a creative person in whatever area you're operating in. So creative people tend to be good at um, putting different ideas together in a process we call conceptual blending. Um, so that conceptual blending is basically thinking about one thing in terms of another thing. So, um, and you can do it with anything, but one thing that always comes to mind for me is um, we went to Spain as a family a couple of years ago because my husband is um, Spanish. And just in Barcelona seeing the amazing work of this architect Gaudi, and what he did is he, he really hated straight lines. So he looked to nature, but he problem solved by looking to nature. And um, so he thought about his buildings in terms of nature, and that helped him problem solve different issues that came up as he constructed and thought about how to construct his buildings. So, for example, in one um, place we went to, we saw a model that he constructed of, like, the the ribs of a whale he basically went through and you're walking through the belly of a whale and that helped him think about how he could construct arches and that kind of thing mm. um, and so one thing I love to see as an English teacher is when people start to do reading and writing um, that engages with their fields of interest so like it could be I've seen a boy um, in his extension to English project wanting to write about um, the history of maths and think about ways you can describe the history of calculus without using um, the maths language. It's really interesting. And also, um, last summer I read a book by a maths professor, Jordan Ellenberg, and he was looking at um, geometry people over the centuries, so people who'd advanced the field of geometry, and it was just so interesting that so many of them were also poets, these mathematicians. 
And so what you see in poetry is that you actually have this kind of sophisticated conceptual blending often going on with these really creative metaphors. And so you think that's actually priming their brains in a way to think creatively and make new advances in their maths. Um, so I found that really interesting that, that people who um, tend to contribute and be very eminent in their fields are the creative thinkers. And so I think it's really important that we do have all these kind of ways of engaging differently with the field of, of knowledge and encouraging people to see it from new perspectives. That's a really helpful way of reframing the understanding of science. I think much of what we do in teaching is actually sales. It's actually you're selling people on things. And I teach geography and history and business studies. And boy, let me tell you, there are some people who definitely need to be sold on the importance of studying those subjects. And that's okay, because we can do that. Um, it, it's not so hard to show people uh, the benefits of uh, widespread knowledge across multiple domains. But it sounds like you've got a real heart to see science pitched in a different way sold to students in a different way you might have people who say all right i'm great with numbers and i've got a great memory therefore science is for me and you've got other people who say well i'm i'm quite creative i'm really good at art therefore science is not for me and am i right in thinking you'd want to say to both those students no 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 you you both need to broaden your conception of what science is yeah absolutely yeah and different ways that you can engage with it and different ways that you can kind of reflect on things. So when you think about the creative process, normally there's a period of kind of, I guess, contemplation and just thinking and reading and bringing ideas together and just thinking about things from different perspectives. And it's only when you've kind of done that and kind of rested with, with your ideas and wrestled and then it's then that you have kind of the aha moment but you can't push that moment into or force it into being. You kind of got to have this deep engagement and reflective engagement with it. So um, that's what I would be hoping to encourage um, across the curriculum, not just in science, but, you know, in English or um, in other subjects and in the social sciences as well. I think that's really important too. So I actually have an economics degree. <laughs> So I don't need to be persuaded that, you know, I just find studying people and, and how they interact very fascinating, but then you can frame it in different ways and that's how we advance our knowledge. And speaking of framing and indeed reframing, uh, in your article in the Christian Teachers Journal, you go into some of the innovations that have taken place recently in how we're actually seeking to reframe the way we see science and earth care. Can you dive into that for us? Yeah, I find it really interesting that you mentioned um, the idea of uh, learning being a network because something that's really interesting in the natural sciences at the moment is that um, the dominant narrative, which has been kind of the survival of the fittest, is, um, is kind of being challenged. So... Um, the idea is that it's not the only narrative that you can use to explain the narrative world. And in particular, and so you also mentioned the idea of trees and flourishing before. So that's really interesting too, because trees and um, fungi in particular are getting a lot of attention at the moment. Um, 
so for example, there's a scientist Suzanne Simard from America. So who, she comes out of a family who has a logging background in the northwest of America. And she um, was looking at how to grow trees. And the dominant narrative at the time was that you need to give trees space so that they, they're not competing with other trees and so that they can grow well and get the nutrients that they need. But she actually found over the course of her work over a number of years that that's not actually true, that trees actually thrive better kind of in a community of trees when they have other trees um, close to them. And what's happening is that under the soil you have this whole, um, what she calls the world wood web happening. So there's wow. fungi under the soil that's actually um, helping the trees look after each other, transferring nutrients and this whole kind of network of care. So it's really interesting. So that's, that's something that's opening up new ways of thinking about the world. Um, and more generally, we're understanding a bit more about um, what we call symbiotic relationships. Um, so relationships between living entities that support each other in their flourishing. And so even when you think about humans, um, we actu actually are hosts to like thousands and millions of microbes in our body. So these are other living organisms in our body. And not all of these make us sick. Actually, quite a lot of them are necessary for our survival. Um, so we host these microbes and particularly the microbes in our gut um, are necessary to help maintain our mental health as well as our physical well-being as we digest food. So people are starting to think if we are these hosts for um, these living things um, and they're necessary for our survival, should we be thinking of ourselves as these kind of um, self-contained humans like can we actually put a boundary between what is human and what is not human when we actually ourselves need all these living things in our body to survive um so yeah we're thinking through how it kind of decenters us a bit maybe in the same way as the book of job so we're realizing that we actually really are so dependent on our environment and it's a mutual thing um, for our flourishing and so this idea of nature and community and symbiotic relationships, um, so it links in really well, as I said, with the book of Job. Um, so we care for the environment because we're in this um, intense, intimate relationship with it. And we're not kind of this external um, overlord kind of force when we think about the environment. Um, so there's a humility there, but there's also a love there, which I think as Christians... Um, we can think about that there's actually a relationship and a love that we need to have for our environment. That's fantastic. And reframing science and the pursuit of knowledge through scientific method and whatnot, reframing some of the answers that we're getting to those questions as, you know, we're, we're being um, hospitable or we see community within the trees or we see um, a relationship between ourselves and the organisms that we host that's a really interesting way it, it i can't help but think of the 
biblical through lines or the biblical threads that we have been discussing in Christian education circles for many, many years. And that's precisely the sort of link, Danielle, that I think is going to get um, more than a small number of students quite excited about what they're learning in science. Well, that's, uh, it's been a genuine pleasure talking to you today, Danielle. I'm really confident that this discussion in your article is going to move the needle for some people in the way that they think about faith and, and science teaching. Uh, so thank you so much for your time, and I, I really do wish you all of God's richest blessings in all your pursuits in 2023. Oh, thank you so much, Paul. It's been such a pleasure.